Hey everybody, Michael Gunger here. Hello, Emily Capshaw here. We're so excited to tell you about two new events that we're launching this fall. The first is called Commune. Commune is a two-night intensive that we'll be bringing to a bunch of different cities where anybody from any background, any place in your faith experience or your beliefs, you're all welcome to come experience community that's not based in a common fundamentalist belief, but instead is a radically inclusive universal space for community. So there will be sessions and teachings and song and dance and opportunities to connect with each other in person and be seen and heard and leave on a love high. Yeah, commune is great for like deconstructing Christians and people who want to find community together that are not interested in strict dogma or fundamentalism or anything like that. And then for those of you who want to go deeper, who want to engage in some spiritual practice together that's a little more intense and maybe a little wilder, (laughs) uh, exploring unitive consciousness with each other, the one retreat may be the perfect fit for you. In fact, you could do both. We're actually going to do the commune events in these cities followed immediately by the one retreat. So it would be possible for you to do both or either. We're bringing these events to Nashville and to Chicago and to Atlanta and to the LA area with more events to be added soon. Go to theliturgists.com and you can see some videos about these events, read a little bit more about them and grab some tickets if you'd like. We'd love to see you. Welcome to the Liturgist Podcast. You are now listening to Black History is American History. I'm William Matthews. Hey, I'm Propaganda. I'm Nikki Black. And I'm Andre Henry. Today's moment in Black history, James Cone. Dr. James Hal Cone grew up in the racially segregated town of Bearden, Arkansas. Born in 1938, he and his family attended Macedonia African Methodist Episcopal Church. He attended Shorter College, a small AME church junior college, before receiving a bachelor's degree from Philander Smith College in 1958. Although he had decided against parish ministry, their advice led him to obtain a Bachelor of Divinity degree from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in 1961 and Master of Arts and Doctor of Philosophy degrees from Northwestern University in 1963 and 1965. He was shocked to learn that most Northern whites would not treat him with respect. (laughs) Yet he was excited to learn of unfamiliar theologians, controversies, and biblical study methodologies, At the urging of and with support from the white theologian William Horton, at Garrett he applied and gained acceptance into the doctoral program in theology. He taught theology and religion at Philander Smith College and beginning in 1970 at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, where he was awarded the distinguished Charles A. Briggs Chair in Systematic Theology in 1977. Cone was best known for his advocacy of black theology and black liberation theology. His 1969 book, Black Theology and Black Power, provided a new way to comprehensively define the distinctiveness of theology in the black church. His message was that black power, defined as black people asserting the humanity that white supremacy denied, was the gospel in America. Jesus came to liberate the oppressed, 
advocating the same thing as black power. He argued that white American churches preached the gospel based on white supremacy, antithetical to the gospel of Jesus. Cohn's work was influential from the time of the book's publication, and his works remain influential today. His work has been both used and critiqued inside and outside the African-American theological community. Cohn's theology also received significant inspiration from a frustration with the Black struggle for civil rights. He felt that Black Christians in North America should not follow the white church on the grounds that it was a willing part of the system that oppressed Black people. Accordingly, his theology was heavily influenced by Malcolm X and the Black Power Movement. Martin Luther King Jr. was also an important influence. Cohn describes King as a liberation theologian before the phrase existed. Cohn wrote, I was on a mission to transform self-loathing Negro Christians into Black-loving revolutionary disciples of the Black Christ. Nevertheless, he said, the Black church, despite its failures, gives Black people a sense of worth. In 2018, he was elected as a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. I think Dr. Cohn was probably the first person after I had left white evangelicalism that I read who gave me a sense of reconstructed Christianity. A little bit of my history, I feel like Black liberation theology, even among Black people, can often have a bit of a bad reputation. For too. sure. And I think there are segments, and definitely the segment of the Black church that I grew up in, kind of touched Black liberation theology, I think, but was ultimately very scared to really immerse in it because a lot of our theology in the church resembled white Christianity. Mm -hmm. A lot of our atonement mm -hmm. theories, a lot of our scriptural analysis or the sense of inerrancy and a lot of these things given to us from church history. Because most black theologians were being trained in white institutions, just like mm -hmm. James Cone. Yeah, you know? for sure. And so I had this really hard conversation with my dad recently where I asked, did we grow up as white evangelicals, but in blackface? Mm -hmm. Ooh. Mm -hmm. And he said, yes. <laughs> oh. Of course. And it's funny because uh, in some of the later elementary uh, school period of my life, our black church started to experiment a bit with black liberation theology and bring some of those elements in. We even like celebrated Kwanzaa mm -hmm. and even had Bible books that had all black characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like my period, it was also the 90s too, right? So everything was very mm -hmm. like, pro black. I had, you know, Kente cloth, mm -hmm. <laughs> Kofi <Koofy>. hats, <laughs> like in the African medallions. Mm -hmm. Like it was very pro black. And my dad actually told me, he said, that's why we started incorporating that stuff. And it was a crazy look back for me to realize I grew up with both. Yeah, black liberation theology kind of sometimes had this bad reputation, maybe for reasons we can talk about, but. It was also given to us as a way to resist the predominant theology, the dominant theology that white evangelicalism had given not just to themselves, but to black people and the black church. Mm -hmm. I always talk about how like, so I have two theology degrees. And yeah, you do. My yeah. first, my, getting my bachelor's, liberation theology was spoken about in the same way that Mufasa talks to Simba about the elephant's graveyard at the <laughs> beginning of the line. Don't ever go there. <laughs> what a great... Yeah. Everything the light touches <laughs> is theology. Except for... What that. about that shadowy part over there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's where people of color believe that God also cares about them. So. <laughs> we don't go there. You must never go there. Yeah. <laughs> that is the dopest analogy. Thank and you. it just, it was just like that. And so like, I was literally 
like at one point, just I completely dismissed the work mm. of James Cone and wow. and Muharest theologians Same. and feminist theologians and all these others because that was how it was taught to me, right? It wasn't until I was getting my master's in theology that at least Dr. Cohn's work was like listed as optional reading. Like it wasn't yeah. like don't go over there, but you know, it, it, was, it also like wasn't there. the main, but it was like you have some required reading and recommended reading, mm-hmm. right? And so for one of your book reports, mm-hmm. you could choose from a list of others and James Cohn was on there. I talk about James Cohn's work as what probably would have saved me from a crisis of faith if I had read it earlier. Wow. Mm. Because when I had to deconstruct the version of Christianity that was given to me by white evangelicals that I thought applied to us all, (laughs) but actually learned that, oh no, 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 no. Your Christianity is about serving your own interests. And now that I'm talking about racial justice and that's not within your interests, like we are having like a fundamental difference here. And then I had to confront these ideas of, you know, well, is Christianity the white man's religion? Like, you know, Mm. I heard other people, you know, other black people growing up say, I mean, the task of theology is liberation, like James Cone says in his in his work that would have. Well, that I would have avoided that question altogether about is yeah. this the white man's religion if that had been the way that theology had been taught to me. If someone had highlighted the fact that contrary to what we want to say and believe about God as, you know, progressive people, modern people, whatever, the the scripture shows God taking the side of whoever is marginalized in society. Mm-hmm. And if that had been highlighted and emphasized in my theological upbringing then i probably wouldn't have had this you know death of god moment where i realized oh my goodness like the god that's being presented to me by my peers in these classes by my uh your professors colleagues in ministry and all this kind of stuff this god literally does not care about racial violence against black people Mm. they told it they told me that (laughs) you know yeah i've heard some version of that too in ministry yeah yeah or slavery wasn't you know in the bible slavery is not necessarily viewed badly like i've been told that by white preachers in ministry oh that is having a moment right now yeah it's having a revival of thought yeah there there are lots of white white uh especially like in the reformed kind of world white reformed evangelicals that's a in my opinion that's a special kind of hell but keep going (laughs) talking about you know slavery and all that kind of stuff and you know these are things that they're just true you know not not that you know slavery wasn't that bad but the the idea of christianity becoming a tool of white supremacy is just a historical fact yeah Mm -hmm. you can trace it yeah, it's just it's just it just is what it is. But then to never have that named as you are getting a theology degree, you know, as you're training for ministry and all that kind of stuff was just they, you've ma- made this point too. Like when you go to theology school, they don't even really give you Dr. King to read. <laughs> and no and that and he wasn't uh I mean he was definitely influenced. I think they were mutually influenced, him and James Cone. He definitely had a liberation view, uh, Dr. King. But like even somebody as pacified as Dr. King has become, you're yeah. still not given when you go to Bible college. Well, even school. the conversation that a lot of white evangelicals are having about Dr. King and have been having for a long time now is that Dr. King's views are too heterodox, mm. you know, and then they want to get on Dr. King, you know. Explain that being, word heterodox. They're just saying that, you know, 
he didn't necessarily hold some of these fundamental beliefs that they have about the inerrancy of scripture or, you know, whatever you want to go down the doctrinal list, he doesn't check off all those boxes. And so uh, white people, white evangelicals today are making these arguments about Dr. King. In fact, so we just passed the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination a couple years ago now, right? So there was this huge event, MLK 50, that all these, you know, um, prominent Christian thinkers from uh, some part of the, you know, Christian, North American Christian landscape were involved in, right? And to this day, I'm still hearing people complain about this event because they're saying that people are idolizing King too much or they're, you know, that they're not being critical enough of Dr. King because of the allegations about King, you know, being unfaithful to his wife. And because King's theology is not, quote unquote, orthodox. Well, we don't want to go down that list with some of their faves. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, of course we don't. Of course we don't. Yeah. No, of course we don't. And, you know, this is just so interesting how Cone had, has been so quarantined, you know, even for black people among black people. It's true. Yeah. You know. And a part of that, too, is that, like, we are trained also to show a lot of deference to white people, white Americans and white America. And so to say things, okay, I'm going to be honest. Dr. Cone goes a little far sometimes. There are times, (laughs) it's kind of funny to me, (laughs) when you're reading Cone and he calls them whitey, you know, and he says, you know, if God is white, we got to kill him, (laughs) you know? He says in A Black Theology of Liberation, the Black experience is, you know, that that feeling of throwing a Molotov cocktail, you know, and and those are things that people like to cherry pick. Right. Because out of context, out of context, it sounds like, oh, my gosh, like, what is this? Right. But you have to read Cone in context and also consider the context. If you were black in America and you're Christian, and remember, he's he's learning from white theologians. He's in conversation with white theologians. And you're watching the civil rights movement happen. Perhaps you're even participating in it. And King is preaching about nonviolence and love. Now, remember, King's, King's message of love of your enemies is also like it's a high bar. Yeah. When he says in that message, love your enemies, we will meet your capacity to do violence with our capacity to endure violence. It's that level of putting yourself on the line because King influenced, heavily influenced by Gandhi, his view of racial justice is I'm going to convert the oppressor. Now imagine you are a black theologian living through this time where people are getting lynched and people are literally bombing churches and killing children Children, and lynching and mutilating people for accusations of wrongdoing, things they weren't even there for, right? And they murder the one black man in America that believes in white America most. Mm. And these theologians had been opposing him, some of them, you know, that's why Dr. King writes his letter from a Birmingham jail yeah. in response to a letter that had been written to him by other white pastors right. telling yeah. him that, you know, that were opposing his civil rights activism. So tell me what kind of book you're going to write after King is assassinated. Mm. Yep. And if I remember now, this might just be legend, but <laughs> if I but if I remember correctly, Cone wrote his first book almost immediately after King was shot, like in a night. Wow. He was like livid. 
He was mm. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of rage in that book. Yeah. Mm. I've read portions of it. Yeah. And that's the struggle of like, how do I maintain black dignity in this world that keeps assailing me? Is what you're describing, right? Of mm-hmm. Cone's experience doing theology. And then um how do I get to maintain dignity and still love Christ, especially the Christ given to me by the oppressor? He didn't want to have to become white to be Christian. Yeah. Mm. Culturally, in the way he viewed himself, in the way he viewed black community and black right. communal love. And that is almost like like you kind of say, the radical break that happened mm-hmm. for him. It was like, and you feel that tension when you read Cone's work, is this like radical departure and this radical liberation of breaking away from the white power structure. And it's funny because even though in those works, he still sometimes quotes white theologians, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> which later he got a lot of criticism for. And then he began to change and he said, you know what? There are black intellectuals and black scholars and even from Negro spirituals that I can pull from to reinforce these ideas without having to constantly, you know, go to uh, uh, white theologians for this. And then feminists came through later and started like critiquing, they were critiquing his, work. his work as well because it was so male focused. Male yeah. focused mm-hmm. and also didn't uh, include LGBT people. And mm-hmm. so by the end of his life, like he had opened up his work to be criticized. Like he wasn't the type of theologian that's just, he was angry. He had a lot of rage against white establishment. And so in a lot of ways, Black liberation theology comes across as just reactive. Mm-hmm. But really, I feel like it's the crack in the ground yeah. of this, this thing that has been really this type of Christianity that has been clouding Black people. Yeah. This view of Christ that is shaped and formed by oppression rather mm-hmm. than the radical love that the text seems to be screaming from. And so it feels like he's just like, you know, nail and hammer, like cracking something open. And, yeah. and it feels like it's our responsibility now to take that and to to really explore and and flesh out his work as it relates to reconstructing Christianity or Black Christianity as an internal reality, but as a a love and justice politic. Yeah. It seems like in my conversations with white Christians is that their calculus around theology, it always puts Black people needing to embrace like racial violence. Mm. You know, I remember so many times when I first started talking about racial justice, like people using scripture to say, like, you should be more gracious. You should be forgiving. We're called to turn the other cheek, da, 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 da. And you just can't really stay within that calculus as a person of color, as a non-white person, as a black person, and expect deliverance, right? Like... It's just not a part of that game. And I think that what Dr. Cohn really did and what it is is a gift to us theologically is saying white people do not have any control over the religion of black people. Mm. White people do not get to determine Mm. what is uh, how we think and believe and interact with God. Mm. And so like you have people even today, like, you know, that this dude, uh, James White, he got in trouble. I think it was last year for saying that, you know, in black churches, like they're just not concerned with sound doctrine. Right. Mm. And I'm like, you just don't get to decide what is sound. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you don't get to decide how we articulate what is sound. Yeah. You know, and I, I do see how people, you know, can say, well, Cone, like he's an extremist, you know, but you also have to put him in context. And you also have to remember, like uh, all these people in this tradition, like Jeremiah Wright. Right. You remember Jeremiah Wright got in huge trouble because he started riffing at the end of that sermon saying, God damn America America. about this, 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 this. You know that James Cone actually kind of distanced himself a little bit from that. Really? (laughs) Yeah. 
a little, a little bit, you know, I don't know why I can't explain why, but I'm just saying like, it's not like this blind, unthoughtful, you know, just, you know, whatever, whatever says any indictment on white America is valid. You know, he's a thoughtful person. He's a nuanced person. Speaking of Jeremiah, Jeremiah Wright, who's in that tradition, people should really like read that entire sermon. Yeah. I went back and saw a clip of it recently and watched it and I went, this aged well. (laughs) 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 I went, man, we demonized him for that. Again, right. because the the we don't accept black people's rage mm-hmm. as as valid. Mm-hmm. We love it when if it's if it's Jewish, we love it if it's white. We love if it comes packaged in a Eurocentric type thing. Again, it's you know Cohn was helping people recognize how do you identify with with Jewish people who've been marginalized, you know, in recent history, but also two thousand years ago, and cannot empathize with the plight of black folks today. Right? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. Like where where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I went back and listened to that, and I was like, this aged pretty well and this is the thing about like prophetic speech when you actually read the hebrew prophets jeremiah says okay because of all this injustice around here all the same same thing ezekiel and same thing isaiah say because of all this injustice around here god is going to judge this nation yeah and the thing that they say to him okay the thing they say to him is how dare you speak about our country that way right yeah that's what they they and Jeremiah is almost executed for being for treason, you know, mm-hmm. because of the way that he's talking, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that to say that anyone who, you know, identifies or is identified as a prophet, like anything they say is legitimate, right? True. You know, yeah, but I yeah. think I think that that's a part of the thing, like for people who feel compelled to tell the truth in public, right? There is there's a wrestling match that they have to do with themselves about, right? Yeah. How do I deliver that? You know, but then also realizing that like of course of course, like Jeremiah Wright is going to be blackballed for daring to for daring to say because of this calculus, right? Like there is there is a theological calculus that says, okay, God judges those who perpetuate injustice. That is a framework, right? Yeah. And within that framework, America can also here qualify. Here we sit. <laughs> we are here. <laughs> Being unrighteous. Well, those same people will allow judgment words about abortion. Right. God's judging America before the 50 million babies that have been aborted. Mm-hmm. I, you know how I many prophetic words I've heard from mm-hmm. white prophets right. that mm-hmm. are very damning and cr- exactly. critical of America um, because they're of homosexuality, right. because of trans folks like right. there's a major prophet that just said something very negative as well oh, yeah. towards trans people mm-hmm. and like god woke me up in the middle of the night and i heard the audible voice of god say but you know yeah because of the sin of this which is basically trans people like in this moral confusion and just all this stuff so like i think the difference though is when a james cone or even a jeremiah wright to a degree when they're making that judgment mm-hmm they are not doing it haphazardly. They're doing it with the weight of history under them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're doing it with the plight of black folk in this country, 400 years of oppression. Mm-hmm. They're talking from a rootedness. Oftentimes, though, when white people do those types of judgment words, it's it's not coming from the same place. It's coming oftentimes from an irrational place. It is coming from an inability mm-hmm. to reconcile with themselves and the history that they perpetuate it. Mm-hmm. And so they look at us and go, you're being irrational. Right. You're being this. Right. And it's really just a projection tool of what mm-hmm. they're doing same Mm -hmm. with this you know the trumpism movement's the same thing let's project on you everything we're actually doing you're corrupt we're being actually corrupt Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. you know and that's the thing that rub with james cone is no one is willing to actually dive into the context of who he is and how he speaks they just view it as you're being irrational you're being wrong yeah i mean at the end of the day the the notion that god is black 
in you know in theological language you know he's saying that god identifies with the marginalized god identifies with the oppressed and you got to remember like in the ancient world like the term from which we get the word hebrew was like a social distinction in the ancient world. It it was basically the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of the word nigger, you know? So they're already marginalized people living there, but then we find Yahweh, right? We find Yahweh in the margin of margins. Like Yahweh's out there in the desert with some shepherds, Mm -hmm. you know, which Egyptians consider it an abomination to even Mm -hmm. associate with shepherds. You know, that's why they're all in Goshen one section. So that's the connection that James Cone is making. That notion that God is wherever the marginalized are is just a gift to us. It's really unfortunate that that idea is not popular. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black History is American History. 